Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. First off, uh, your radical honesty is so fantastic. It's 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 refreshing. It's entertaining. I love it. Who is this guy writing this book? I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I think there's an illusion. Uh, I see no correlation between joy and money. I see no correlation between joy and location or geography. I have stumbled into people living such beautiful lives of dignity. Um, with no money in weird corners of the world. I have met people really famous with big houses and millions of Instagram followers who are miserable. Like the whole thing is a facade. And for many people, life is something that happens to you. you so you sort of try and endure it. Um, but the ancient Hebrew consciousness began with this belief that the world is unfinished and that we take part in the ongoing creation of the world and that you are in fact creating your life. Yeah. So what do you want to create? I often find that people will want to talk and they'll have this hairball of hope, dream, fear, insecurity, ambition, goals. And when I just start asking a few questions, it's unbelievable how many times people actually do they, they know exactly what the next thing to do is mm. and what they're actually asking for is permission. Life is going to throw you all sorts of things you never would have wanted it to throw you. So you might as well be doing something meaningful. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it's going to be difficult. So uh, money will probably always be tight. So you might as well have money tight doing something you love. So part of it is just fundamentally challenging what we mean by success. And it's fascinating to me how many people have bought a vision, a understand, an understanding of success that when you poke just a little hole in it, they go, oh, you're right. Mm. I, don't, I don't actually buy that. <laughs> you are listening to The Human Experience. We bring you the best content on the planet. The way we're going to prove to you that we bring you the best content on the planet. Here is our episode that you may or may not have heard with Mr. Rob Bell. This episode for me was one of the best episodes we have ever done. Thank you guys so much for listening and being a part of everything we do. Please find us on Twitter at The Human XP. Please find us on Facebook with the same name, The Human XP, and YouTube and everywhere else we are. Thank you guys so much again for listening. Here is Mr. Rob Bell. The human experience is revealing the infinite possibilities for your life with my guest, Mr. Rob Bell. Rob, it is a pleasure, sir. Welcome to HXP. Great to be with you. Rob, 
in 2011, Time Magazine declared you one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. You were featured in Oprah's Life Your Want tour. You're a New York Times bestseller. How did you accomplish this? <laughs> uh, I always say that calling is overrated and curiosity is underrated. Um, I just kept following my curiosity. And, uh, you know, the Japanese have this word, akigai, which means that which gets you up in the morning. And early on, I discovered work that would get me up in the morning. Um, so I just kept following it. And uh, whether desperation or joy or passion, um, and there, obviously there's always cost when you follow your joy, when you follow your heart, when you listen to your true self, there's always cost. You're always challenging assumptions. People around you won't understand it, but it's always the best way to go. So that's the, that's the short answer. Yeah. I love that. Rob, let me, let me just, I want to be radically honest with you. I, I judged your book by its cover. Well, I mean, I judged it. <laughs> I judged it by the first 15 pages or so. I thought, I thought to myself, I thought, hasn't this been echoed through books already written? Is this guy a Buddhist monk? What, what is going on here? And that, that quickly changed when I read your chapter called Blank Page. I, I had to beg forgiveness to the book writing gods. I ate my thoughts. I took everything that I assumed back and it was replaced with, wow. This guy is on to something. Where, where did you find the inspiration to transmit these ideas? <laughs> First off, uh, your radical honesty is so fantastic. It's, it's, it's refreshing. It's entertaining. I love it. Who is this guy writing this book? I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, it all comes out of my work essentially for 25 years has been making things. I first sort of stumbled into the sermon as an art form and mm -hmm. decided I'm going to give my life to restoring and recovering the sermon as an art form, not as a condemnation and guilt advice, uh, mm -hmm. a device, and not as a political tool, but as a, a way to inspire and provoke and comfort and heal and, uh, people. And so I noticed that when I thought back upon, through my work over the years, there were certain things that were true, um, but it was often from things not going well. It was often from the blood, sweat, and tears that the, what we would call successes weren't anywhere near as good a teacher as the, shame, as the humiliation and all of the situations where I ended up face down with just a mess on my hands. Um, so all that comes out of um, making a mess of it. <laughs> That's where it comes from. <laughs> so, so you're saying that the, the successes in your life didn't teach you as much as the, the failures? Right. And what's really interesting, because I started out as a pastor, what I noticed over the years is when people would talk about the defining moments in their life. Um, and I've done this in live audiences. I've said, if, if you were to think of the three or four key moments in your life that really altered the trajectory of your days, right. um, that created spinal fortitude, compassion, that, that brought you to this moment, what would those moments be? People never said like, you know, once I got a pay raise or, you know, I went on vacation and then we bought a bigger house. 
people would always go to my dad got cancer, my mom died, I got fired. And what people would always voice, and this is this is around the world, this is students, this is senior citizens, this is people with kids, like this is, I noticed how many people would say, they would tell about some traumatic event and they would say, I can't believe I'm saying this, I'm, and I wouldn't have wished it upon my worst enemy, but that experience I even find myself, and the word that they want to say, but it feels so counterintuitive, is to say they feel grateful for it because it was whatever it was. And yet that's the word that so many people go, I, I feel weird saying this, but I'm kind of grateful now, even though it was a hell on earth when it happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I yeah. just kept noticing, and one of the interesting things uh, from being a pastor is I, people kept, they invite you into the inner ring of their suffering. Like there were couples I'd never met and then their kid is in the ICU unit. The baby's just been born, and it's got a couple hours to live. They call you to stand there with them in the hospital while their child takes its last breath. Like, I just kept getting ushered into the sort of the inner ring of people's lives. And then I would see them a year later and five years later. And it didn't take away or erase that suffering, but I just kept noticing how much, and I, it even seems weird to say it, good would come out of these horrible traumatic, devastating experiences. And it's almost like you just start to see the world in a different way. That's so profound. I yeah, mean, yeah. To, to really feel that, you know, and, and, I, and I, I can feel your words and to, to know that the, the suffering aspect of our lives is what causes the greatest, Absolutely. greatest evolution, the greatest change. I mean, yeah, wow, yeah. what a world that we live in. <laughs> right. And I also noticed how many people had almost like lived with a binary of there's the good things in life and the bad things of life. And, and you want to be over in this column and then the bad stuff we kind of don't know what to do with. So we get banished to the subconscious. We don't talk about it. Um, oftentimes families, workplaces, um, faith communities, uh, off, even marriages, there are things that you can talk about and things you can't. There's mm -hmm. like, a, like an unspoken code of um, what can be entered into and what needs to be ignored at all costs. Yeah. And yeah. what I kept noticing is that binary leaves people with a, a big chunk of their experience they don't know what to do with. Um, but that when I watched people go into their pain, loss, heartache, and suffering, uh, they often found something really, really profound at work in there. So whether you, spirit, force, God, divine, whatever language people might want to use, or just simply mystery people want to use for this, I kept discovering whatever this is, it's at work in the full spectrum of human experience. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's almost like the real task is to learn to pay attention um, in whatever it is. Mm. And to keep your eyes open. That's, that, that might actually be the job. <laughs> keep your eyes open. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? How, do we, how does a person keep their eyes open? Well, uh, here's one example. I used to go to this uh, school sister of Notre Dame for spiritual direction, and she's from this long Dominican tradition of spiritual directors who you sit with a spiritual director, and their job isn't to fix your problem, and their job isn't to solve whatever you brought them. Your, their job is to sit with you and ask you questions about whatever it is you brought to the encounter. So what I noticed is I would um, make an appointment with the spiritual director and I would go in with some problem because I'm a good American. I got a problem. I want to fix it. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, help me 
grasp this. And right. she would always be like, hold on, hold on. Tell me why that makes you angry. Tell me about the tension. Tell me why you have a, a sense of urgency that this thing needs to be resolved now. What is it in the lack of resolution that most bothers you? And oftentimes, I would at some point forget about the thing I wanted fixed because I would look, oh, this is about me. This is, uh, uh, this is the ego. This is fear. This is wanting to make sure that this person is impressed by me. Um, this is terror that I won't be successful, liked, achieve things. Um, so often, I, so it was like learning, learning to pay attention to your own interior life. Right. right. Uh, which is very different from controlling uh, the circumstances and people around you, which is interesting because if you go to an AA meeting, one of the first things you have to do is you realize that you can't control people, places, or things. Yeah. So like, it's like all great recovery. So what happens is we beat ourselves up. Like, oh, I made a mess of that. Oh, I stumbled there. Oh, I just couldn't get that together. But what were your assumptions? Like, did you think that you would nail it from the get-go? You know what I mean? Sometimes it helps just to think about the opposite, which is, <laughs> did you think that you would flawly execute this task <laughs> called life from the get What What did you... <laughs> Did you think that this would be effortless? Um, and where did you get that idea? And I, I, uh, I like the fact that the Hebrew language has this word tov, T-O-V, which means good. Mm -hmm. But it's good, and the good includes light and dark. It includes, um, it includes the seed rising up out of the earth, but it also includes the burying of the seed. Um, it includes the sun rising, but also includes the sun setting. So this Hebrew word good, which I love, this old, old word, it's this affirmation that your life is good and that includes all the bad. It's a goodness that's wide enough to embrace all what we would call bad. It's all mm -hmm. part of you working out your thing. Um, and so I'll often, like with a crowd, I'll have them all take a deep breath and let, themself, let themselves off the hook for all the assumptions and expectations they had of perfection. Mm -hmm. Like nobody has tried you before. The only interesting question is what are you learning from your failings, stumblings, and all the moments when you thought, man, this is awkward. <laughs> what are you learning? That's the only interesting question. Um, and I find so many people have a, a tape that plays in their head. The tape shows that I'm 45. It's such an analog metaphor. They have a digital, they have an MP3 player in their head <laughs> that is on loop. Uh, man, you really screwed that thing up. You're going to probably screw this thing up too. Oh, you totally let them down. You're probably going to let this person down too at some point. And mm. uh, so sometimes you have to go in and figure out what are the tapes that are playing? What's the loop that's playing in my head? And where did I get the idea that I'd get it right on the first try? And let's move from perfection to, to good and good can handle all the hiccups and mistakes. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, uh, I was doing a meditation the other night and it was, a, it was different. You know, I just, I was just kind of laying there and there were, there were no real thoughts. And, um, then I had this sort of realization, you know, I, I could feel my breath and I was just breathing. You know, I was just breathing in 
and out. And I realized, and this, this occurred to me, this is such a huge gift that Absolutely. I am able to breathe, that I am alive, that I have <laughs> yes. life, that I'm able to create, that my biggest power is creation, that I have the ability to create and destroy. That is yes. such a huge power. Yeah, yeah. And the great writer Abraham Heschel, who, marked, who marched with Martin Luther King, he talked about radical amazement. Uh, he even said, I didn't ask for success. I asked for wonder. Uh, mm. And that, and that, the, that what, you, what you were describing in that meditation, that ability to stand in awe of your own existence, is that, it's actually what everybody wants. Even though we would like to be successful and, and wealthy and have lots of friends. You know what I mean? The thing you really want is to be like, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Look at this. Um, that is actually what we all want. Definitely. For sure. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you, you know, we're, we're, getting to, we're getting towards figuring this out. You know, now we're, we're, we're assembling this, this, all of this information as, as we exchange this dialogue and the people listening, hopefully they're getting an idea of where we're going. And what I want to bring up now is what you term, tell me if I'm saying this incorrectly, the, the ikigai? How do I say yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, ikigai? It's a Japanese word, ikigai. Uh, and I first heard about it because they were doing studies of where people live longest in the world. And there was an island off the coast of Japan, I believe it was. And they attributed the longevity to a concept of a key guy. These people had this sense that um, a key guy essentially was what gets you up in the morning. Like without something to get you up in the morning, you die. Even if you're still living, something within you dies. Sometimes it's translated reason for being. Hmm. And, uh, and the reason why I found this so interesting is I, would, I had met people who maybe they got, a, they got trained in a particular skill, but now the economy has shifted and, and that skill isn't in demand like it used to. Or they got their dream job and then that job got phased out. Or uh, they got injured and couldn't do a particular job. And it brought sort of this catatonic paralysis, like what am I supposed to do? Um, and the answer is, well, we're going to have to figure out now what will get you up in the morning. Um, and that a key guy has this sort of fluid, limber, you never stop figuring it out. And if you actually do achieve some level of success or something, that will simply raise a new set of questions about who you are and what you ought to do next. Mm -hmm. um, and I love this idea of your a key guy is something that's a work in progress and it'll probably always be a work in progress. And don't fight that. That's okay. That's actually healthy. Um, because I'll meet people, uh, where was it? Oh, I was in Miami recently doing a mm. How to Be Here event. Mm -hmm. And a woman was like, I'm a successful lawyer and I'm bored out of my mind. <laughs> and what was so interesting is she already has the next thing that she would like to go try. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. And, yeah. and uh, I remember telling her, you know that probably everything you've learned as a lawyer, it'll probably all come back around and somehow help you in this next thing that you do. Um, it all belongs. Uh, but I think that's the thing about a key guy, which is so helpful for me and so many people is, oh, got it. So if somebody near you 
gets really sick and you have to care for them, all right, then that's what we're doing now. That's now part of it. Uh, and that's okay. You'll probably always be figuring it out. You know, I think, I think you nailed it earlier when you said that, you know, it's kind of like the matrix We're we're, we're in the matrix and somehow our neurologically, we've just, you know, we look at, like you said, we look at these, everyone around us and we think, okay, well, I, I need to do it this way. This is the way that I should be living my <laughs> right, life. Right, right, right. And no one ever gets to the point where they ask themselves, oh, okay, no, I'm not going to do this, this way anymore. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, I'm going to take control of my life. And, and maybe success, you know, maybe success isn't part of it. Maybe success is, and the, I love this about what you said in your book that, you know, success can kind of kill the aspect of enjoying your, your ikigai. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, and, and it's important to ask questions about what we mean by success, because for many people, success is unquestioned scale up and to the right. As long as it's growing and it's getting bigger and we're making more money, then we're successful. Um, so part of it is just fundamentally challenging what we mean by success. And it's fascinating to me how many people have bought a vision, a understand, an understanding of success that when you poke just a little hole in it, they go, oh, you're right. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't actually buy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I would say across the board, all great significant movement forward involves some questioning of conventional wisdom. You, you rarely see somebody grow to the next place they're going without some questioning of the prevailing assumptions. And then that always leads to some cost. And maybe just obviously financial, but um, cost like your friends and neighbors don't understand why you're doing this move, whatever it is. But you know that this move is where the life is for you. This is your path. But your maybe friends, family, tribe, coworkers might not understand. There's always some cost, social, financial. Um, the challenging of assumptions always leads to some cost. And all the people that I have talked to and interacted with, when you go back through their story and you ask them, how did you get here? Um, they always tell stories of these defining moments when there was a cost and they were like, but I knew I had to pay it because otherwise I'd still be back there. It's every it, time it's, it's freedom. Finding Absolutely. your Ikigai is freedom. It's like fight club. <laughs> yes. Everything we know about life is from uh, fight club or the last scene of eight mile. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, I'm loving this, man. I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> really, really fun conversation. And, you know, again, the, the Ikigai, which, which is my new favorite word, I know, it's it a can, can involve honor. It can, you know, it doesn't really, I mean, you, you give an example about a bus driver, you know, oh, and, yeah. it's, and how the Ikigai can be something that you're already doing, something that you, it's already there right in front of you. Absolutely. The, just having the perspective, this thing that you're doing, um, instead of thinking about it just like it's a job or it's what I do, uh, is there some art or craft or honor and, or dignity to it? Um, well, I sell insurance. All right. What does it mean to be the best 
insurance agent who treats people with uh, a sense of dignity and you respect the human spirit in every person you meet. I actually did an event recently um, and, and an actual, like I think it was an insurance claims adjuster, um, raised his hand um, and he had this really interesting question about like, come on, I do insurance. But what's interesting when I began to sort of interact with him is he, he interacts with people when they've had something horrible go wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, man, when I'm by the side of the road with my car not working and I make a phone call, that voice on the other end, when they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, we're going to get right on it. Like everything within me goes, oh, great. I'm going to be okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> that like oftentimes the work that people most think is menial, um, mundane, insignificant, is actually the work where the honor and dignity shines through the brightest. Yeah. I mean, and, and do you find that even after, you know, you've, you've found your passion, this is your dream now, that, that struggle phase, you know, you, you, you're still going to hit walls. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, it, it will just, the, the, the challenges will come in all sorts of different ways. Um, and in, like in the book, when I t- talk about, I happened to stumble into work I love in my early 20s, and I could make a living at it. So like, amazing, hit the jackpot. And yet, there have been excruciating seasons. Um, it has been one challenge after another. So sometimes there's sort of illusion, well, well, if I could just get, paid for what I love, everything would be fine. No, you would just have a different set. <laughs> you just have a different set of problems. Uh, <laughs> and I often, it just goes back to what you said about comparing. Oftentimes people have in their head, well, if I could just have it like so-and-so, um, well, let's look at so-and-so's life. Let's actually look under the hood. Let's see what they actually deal with day in and day out. This person who you think if you just had their life, oh, a bit more difficult, huh? <laughs> bit more difficult than it looked like on the outside. Um, that however it works, the, 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 the struggle and the challenge and the art of it will always be there. So if you can come to terms with that, my, you save yourself a lot of heartache. I mean, I was going to say, you know, once, you know, once I understand the importance of my craft, once I've found my key guy, I mean, what, what happens after that? Does, does Oprah give me a call and ask me <laughs> to tour with her or what? <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. You know, uh, the joy, like this morning, uh, made my kids breakfast and they were joking about something. And then I took the dog for a run and then sat down at my desk and uh, pushed my way through a couple new projects. The, the work each day when no one's looking, that's, that's the thing. Mm. That's the thing. If you're like, oh, I just want to be on a stage somewhere, or I just want to be with Oprah, um, here's the thing. You can just be with Oprah, and you'll still, the questions, uh, at some point, you'll be like, oh, that's Oprah. Like, whatever it is, at some point, it will just be the thing you're doing, and you'll still have all the same questions about, is this where you're supposed to be? (laughs) Do you love the work? Can you humble yourself and wake up this morning? and go back at it. Um, 
everything, no matter how glamorous, at some point it's work. At some point you're sharpening a pencil. At some point you're filling out a form. At some point you're going through TSA at the airport again. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which I think is so interesting because when, you, when you're inspired by somebody and you hear them interviewed, they rarely talk like, oh yeah, man, I'm just kicking ass. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you usually hear them talk about, yeah, it was, yeah, it took everything I had to make that book. Or yeah, that film about did me under 10 times. I didn't know if I could do it. Um, that when you hear them actually talk, it's, it's the same challenges. Sometimes it looks more glamorous. Sometimes it appears more sexy, but then it's, it's, it's the work like all the rest of us do. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is not an overnight thing. I mean, you're That's, not, you're not going to, it's not like a bill. You're not going to do, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. <laughs> right, right, right. And the people I most admire are people that just quietly do their thing and they do it day in and day out and they just show up. Um, when I think about the people that I admire most are the people that a lot of people just haven't heard of. Um, and, uh, that's, th those are the people who inspire me. So yeah, I have no illusions about all that, uh, big time stuff. And also, by the way, a lot of those people that everybody's heard of, um, they're miserable. You know what I mean? They're just, they're a wreck. Um, so the, I, the joy, I see no correlation between fame and joy. Absolutely zero correlation. Hmm. Go on. I mean, please. <laughs> well, uh, I think there's an illusion. Uh, I see no correlation between joy and money. I see no correlation between joy and location or geography. I have stumbled into people living such beautiful lives of dignity um, with no money in weird corners of the world. I have met people really famous with big houses and millions of Instagram followers who are miserable, like the whole thing is a facade. Mm. Um, I have met spiritual leaders who have tens of thousands of people listening to them each week, and they are like a shell of a person. Um, wow. That they haven't done, I mean, there are, so I've just, and, and I've met people who have been through unspeakable hell who chose the hard road of healing and have a peace and a grace flowing through them. Um, yeah, so I just, uh, at some point, um, I, I just realized, oh, wait, there, there's a journey that you either go on or you don't. Um, <laughs> You either go into the heart of your own darkness or you just keep stuffing it and you keep the facade. Um, you either begin a conversation with your fear or your fear takes over and drives the car. Um, what, and, a, what a paradox, you know? What a, <laughs> yeah. it's, but I love it. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's beautiful. And right, right, once, right. You, once, you, once you start to see it and once you start to really discover what makes you happy, not what makes you rich and famous, but makes you happy, yes. happiness, yeah. you, st you start, life just s flows. And there's a, there's a flow. Those externals, you just, they just don't mean what they used to. Yeah. And actually, to be honest with you, you, you telling me that the book meant something to you, I can't even tell you how much it means to me. It's so meaningful. Um, you, you, the gratitude 
when the work was joy enough, mm-hmm. but the fact that it actually moved somebody is, is like, uh, I call it the frosting. Um, it's, it is, it's like grace upon grace. It is, um, it's like, no way. Are you kidding? That is amazing. <laughs> I'm still flabbergasted. Yeah. You know, I've, I've picked up stoicism lately. I love it. I mean, it really helps me kind of detach from yes. the, the outcome of external things that I, I can't control. And, yes. you know, but, but in your words, I mean, how do we, how do we free ourselves from that emotional chaos of right, being, right. being so attached to, okay, if I, if I do this one thing and if this, this thing happens for me, I, I'll have it. It'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I try in, in the book when I talked about surrendering the outcomes and throwing yourself into it, I think you have to move to uh, some call it unitive consciousness or a non-dual awareness that you live with both a detachment and passion. And those two often feel like totally different things. Passion is like heart, emotion, you're into it, it matters, you care. You're giving it everything and detachment often for people feels like, no, this could come or this could go. It's all temporal. It's all fading. It's written in sand. We're going to, you know what I mean? That I, I think part of it is you hold one in each hand hmm. and there are moments, um, there are moments when you draw on the one and there are moments when you draw on the other. And if you lose either you're, you're, you're going to have problems. Um, so my kids at one level, my kids are going to make the choices they're going to make. They're going to go out into the world. They're going to do their thing. They are who they are. They're going to grow into independent adults and and away they go. And if I'm trying to control and manipulate them, that's not going to go well. Um, but then I want to give them the best. I want to be the best dad. I'm cheering them on. I'm totally in Hmm. when their hearts break, my heart breaks. You know what I mean? And it all exists at the same time. And I think often what happens is the modern world is like, just tell me which it is. And you're dealing with matters of the soul. You're dealing with the heart. And oftentimes it's not either or with the heart. It's yes, it's both and. Um, It's this and this. These two things are true at the same time. But yeah, a lot of people, the power of detachment is that moment when you realize how much suffering you've inflicted upon yourself through your detachments. That's a, that can be an extraordinary moment of revelation. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. How, how important is failure, Rob? I mean, how, how, how many times have you failed? Oh my goodness. Give us us your How long is this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Failure is like, where do you even start? First off, failure is inevitable. Uh, you're going to make a mess of things. But, but the real interesting thing to me is to challenge the notion of failure. Um, because if you learned from it, if it shaped you in some way, if you more readily now can identify with someone else who has gone through what you went through, then even that failure got subverted by something deeper, stronger, wider, and more powerful. So I'll often hear people say, yeah, but I might fail. And, and I will simply say, oh, oh no, let me, let's, let's make sure we're clear here. You will fail. 
um, that is going to happen from time to time. So if you are trying to couch yourself and, and sort of get guarantees that you're not going to fail, it's not a good use of energy. You're going to fail. Just the much more interesting thing is when that happens, um, what will you learn from it and what will it produce in you? And uh, the moment for many people, failure is no longer an obstacle, you are now free in some way. So failure has this very binding quality to it. Hmm. It bounds people up. Um, oh, I can't do that because I might fail. Well, if you knew you were going to fail, but you could try it, what would you try? So you might as well try it. Because um, if you're going to fail, you might as well go down doing something you love. Well, if you don't try, you've already failed. Yeah. Yes. So part of it is it goes back to this good versus perfect. If, if your expectation is you should have nailed this thing from the very start, um, then you'll never get unstuck. And by the way, when you're at a dinner party and people are telling stories, the best stories are always the failure stories. You know, if you're at a dinner party and someone's like, well, you know, I was kind of always awesome. And then I tried some other things and I was really good. And then everything I tried, I was just the best at. It was really just sort of effortless. We don't even like you at this point. Your stories suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not, there's no beginning, middle, and an end. Um, but it's the, it's the, we were stuck in two feet of water and our pet's heads were falling off. And we, you know what I mean? It's the awful, bloody, sweaty mess of things stories that are actually the stories you tell later. Um, and I gradually started realizing this, especially because so much of my work has been speaking in public, is that first something would go wrong. I've had hecklers. I've had drunk homeless people. I had a dog interrupt a sermon one time. I've had um, the power go out. I've had thunder and lightning warnings. I've had the sound system blow up, like everything that could go wrong. I was once doing a sermon where I was making salsa while I was talking and I was chopping the jalapenos and I forgot that I was chopping the jalapenos and I wiped my eyes with my oh, hands. Oh no. And I went blind, full on black as no. black in front of three and a half thousand people. I had to be led out by like, by the hand. Um, so everything, and what I kept discovering is everything within me would stiffen up and fight it. Mm. But then over the years, the next time something would go wrong, I noticed I was less rattled. And then the next time I was less rattled. And I noticed that when I went the other direction, when I, did, when I loosened and let it take us wherever we were supposed to take us, not only did the audience like loosen up, but some of the greatest moments were when everything went wrong. <laughs> you know, um, in, in surfing, there's this idea that, you know, when a wave hits you and you're under it and Relax. if you, if you panic, right. you have something like 10 seconds of air. Absolutely. But if, if you just relax, let go and go with it, you have up to a minute of air. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you fight that thing, all that energy is being used fighting it and you're now, now you actually do have problems. <laughs> so Rob, I, I want to, you know, we're, we're approaching the end here. So I want to kind of wind this conversation down with, you know, d tell us about, you know, a day in the life of Rob Bell, <laughs> the Time Magazine's most influ influential man of the year. For me, it's about the routine and about... What, is your, what is your routine? 
of things. So uh, we wake up and we do a big breakfast for like th- we have three kids. Like I do it right, like pancakes, French toast, smoothies. Like we do breakfast right. And then I uh, take my daughter to school. I take the dog for a run. And those rituals are so grounding. It's so centering. It's almost like, hey, we did breakfast right. And if we do breakfast right, you know what? This day is going to be fine. Um, and then I, I have a desk that I'm sitting at right now. And I, uh, I sit down and I work on, there's a window in the morning when, uh, there's the window when, when the juices flow on making whatever it is, the mojo's there, the muse. Um, so there's always a couple books in various stages. There's always my next, uh, I have a podcast called The Robcast. Um, there's always the next um, teachings and interviews and, and talks I'm doing for my podcast. And then there's, I do a show at a local comedy music club here hmm. in LA in West Hollywood called Largo. So there's always the next show. There's always the next place I'm traveling. Um, and then uh, usually around lunchtime, I'll go surfing. Yeah. Or then I sort of save meetings, interviews for the afternoon when, my, uh, when, I, when I'm just no good at the writing <laughs> and creating. Uh, and then kids, dinner, Spanish flashcards, Legos. <laughs> um, what do we do? A Dodgers baseball game. Uh, my one son's in a band. So uh, Friday night, I went to see him. Um, my daughter loves to go swimming. Like we, we have like a normal life in the middle of LA here with our, our family, friends coming and going. And uh, we keep it really, uh, we talk about living close to the earth. We, it's a, a real life with my family here. And they're my joy. and. So I don't, and I barely travel. I just, if I travel, usually it's one night away and otherwise I fly right back hmm. so that I'm um, with my kids because you get one shot at that. So um, that's what Bravo. it looks like. Yeah, cool. that's what it looks like. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna close on, on this question and stick with me for the end after I close. But <laughs> if, Rob, if, if there is one thing that you could time travel back into time and tell your 21 year old self, what would it be? I would say, take better care of yourself. That's what I'd say. Take better care of yourself. Um, you, the, the goal is to give from the overflow of what's spilling over the top of your life not scraping the bottom of the bucket every time. So take really good care of yourself and then trust that the work that you do in the world, it'll, it'll overflow out the top from fullness. Um, that's what I would tell myself. Beautiful. Yeah. Rob, you must get this all the time. I, I love you, man. Will you please oh, mentor me? You are my, my personal Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is one of the best conversations I've ever had. It's, it's oh, a that's pleasure, so man. You. Thank you so much for you have a big every, heart. everything that you've done. Over Skype. I can feel your heart over Skype. <laughs> I, fe- I feel yours. I, I do, man. I, and and I, you know, I feel like you've, you've captured lightning here. People, it's obvious that people love your work. They adore you. Where can, 
people find your work, your website? RobBell.com. It has uh, all of my latest podcasts. It has tour, um, the How to Be Here tour, and then where I'm speaking in different places. And then um, you can see my books there, get signed copies of them, um, shows I'm doing here in LA. I also do two-day events mm. um, where people come for two days like you would come, and a, a group of us and I do uh, for business people, for entrepreneurs, for creatives, for scientists, for spiritual leaders, for artists. I do two-day events. Um, all that info is on my site where we just talk about the things that everybody needs a space to talk about, and I teach on all these ideas that we've been talking about in this podcast cool. so all that's at robbell.com cool we will make sure that that is available this is the human experience guys thank you guys so much for listening we will be back next week rob bell it's a pleasure sir thank you so much for being oh, here my pleasure thank you <laughs>